Hello, everybody. This is Rob Burnett, and this is HodgePod. I have another great episode tonight. We're going to be talking movies from the 1980s, three movies in particular. We're going to talk about Top Gun, E.T., and a little bit of Die Hard, my all-time favorite movie. And I have another special guest on my podcast, Joseph Leonard. He has a podcast. I'm going to let him introduce himself, where he's from, and what podcast he has, and what else he's feet he has in the fire. So, Joseph, welcome to my podcast tonight. I really appreciate you coming on. Well, I really appreciate you having me. And yes, I am Joseph M. Leonard. And it's not French. It looks French. It's not Leonard. It's Leonard without an O. And I have to use my middle initial, Joseph M. Leonard, because there is a Joseph Leonard out of <laughs> South Carolina, who is also an author. So I'm born and raised in the Southeast Michigan area. And though I hate the winters, I, I choose to say here, I'm pretty, I'm very much born of the sixties, but very much a person of the eighties. And uh, as an author of terror strikes coming soon to a city near you, I will of course always be somewhat partial and have a special place for Tom Clancy books turn movies of the 90s and 2000s, but as promised, I'm here to talk movies of the 80s. <laughs> so what part of Michigan are you from? You said South, what, whereabouts, whereabouts is home? Yeah, Wyandotte, Michigan, after the Wyandotte Native American tribe. So it's a southern, call it downriver Detroit suburbs. Uh, that's uh, yeah, here. I'm here in Memphis, Tennessee. We are steaming hot here with the weather. So, again, thank you very much for coming on. We've had a cooler than normal summer, actually. We've had zero 100-degree days. And the 90-degree weather days, I could count on possibly one, if not one, both hands. Wow. So, you know, it's it's seasonal. It's regional. The climate always cycles. So, yeah, you never know. Yeah, we had a bit cooler, actually. We were rather surprised, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, we've The been... lawn didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> we've been steaming hot here in Memphis. It's been like, it's been feeling like the subtropics here with it's been so hot and oppressive. But so we're going to talk about some movies tonight. And the first one we're going to talk about is Top Gun. And I had to go back today and just look at some scenes. It's a movie I watched several times. Came out in 1986. Top Gun. Joseph is a huge, huge movie in 1986. Yep, yep. I I didn't personally see it in the theaters, actually, myself. Uh, I, of course, have indeed seen it dozens of times right. uh, since it came out. But surprisingly, I guess I'm one of the few who was around then and didn't see it in the theaters. And, of course... Uh, the much-anticipated Top Gun Maverick. I saw that six times in the theater because it was so good. I wanted to support it. But, yeah, both those films are absolutely great, you know, positive kind of films, not whiny garbage like so much of what <laughs> we get today. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And when I when I think about Top Gun, in, in the first one in 86, I think of it more of it having watched it now after watching Top Gun Maverick. It's more of a patriotic film. If I if you look at it, I mean it's incredible because we were in the Cold War with Russia, so we didn't we didn't know who our enemy was, but we know we could tell it was 
somebody, uh, the evil empire, the Soviet Union. But uh, Tom Cruise was definitely a, a star in movies before Top Gun. But this movie put him into super, super stardom. And um, he was the perfect, perfect part for this movie. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, Cruise can be a little flaky and out there at times, but I appreciate his craft. He's good in those films, uh, like also in the 80s, Rain Man. I mean, wow, what an yeah. odd role and odd movie, but fantastic movie. And, uh, of course, all his Mission Impossibles. Uh, the movie. Jack Reacher, the character, is like six foot something, and Tom Cruise is, of course, <laughs> short. Well, you know, that's the beauty of cinematography, the camera angles. And they picked other shorter actors, so he didn't look short and out of place. So he could play that role, believably, in my opinion. Right. I like that movie. But yeah, Top Gun, I mean, that is definitely one of the all-time classic patriotic films, and Maverick goes up there along with it. Uh, that's why it broke records at the box office. I mean, people were desperate for something pro-America for a change. The budget for the film in 1986 was $15 million, and the box office, as you said earlier, was huge. $357 million at the box office. And uh, I had to go back and look to see what movies. I remember Risky Business, Taps, I remember. But there were some other ones that I had forgotten about. The Outsiders, he was in, and All the Right Moves. And then Legend, and then Top Gun in 86. And then I forgot about The Color of Money came out right after that with Paul Newman. And uh, that was just, uh, you know, that was hot. That was a hot year for Tom Cruise. But Top Gun definitely put, uh, I guess you say, Stratosphere, which is very rare for some actors. And uh, he has maintained that since 1986. When you think about the movie, though, it had a lot of good characters in it, too. A lot of good actors who've uh, gone on to do different movies, uh, like Tim Robbins, Val Kilmer, who was in uh, yep. Maverick, the, the uh, second, the sequel. Tom Skerritt, see Michael yep. Ironside, who he was in uh, Total Recall. I like that one. Anthony Edwards, Kelly McGinnis, Clarence Gilliard Jr. from you know, his days with... Uh, 12 terrorists for a die hard with uh, Hans Gruber. So those are, and Meg Ryan as well. So um, definitely a, Oh, nice I, I absolutely love Meg Ryan back then. Uh, I definitely had a crush on Meg Ryan. As I think a lot of males in America did. <laughs> she is looking and very bubbly upbeat, you, you know, wonderful type person. I used to work in the hotel industry, so I got to meet a, a lot of different celebrities. Uh -huh. uh, she would have been one on my list I would have loved to. I'm glad you mentioned Val Kilmore. I'm so glad they could get Top Gun Maverick made in time to let him reprise a role as limited as it was. And yeah. I also love that it had uh, a, a, a Jennifer Connelly in it, who has ties to the 80s also with the movie Labyrinth. Remember with uh, Iggy started, what, uh, David Bowie? David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so Top Gun, at the beginning of the movie, you know, Maverick's got different tensions with Kelly McGillis' character, Charlie. Um, he has uh, some conflicts with his his Navy brethren and authority. 
And then he also has, uh, he has a cockiness about him, but uh, it, it builds and builds through the movie. And uh, you see at some points towards the end, but not getting too far, but you see a lot of different tensions that he had during the uh, first part and the middle part of the movie, where at the very end, obviously uh, it turned out great, but that part that he, every scene of that movie was tremendous. And what gets you on the hook is the first part of the movie with that, you know, that low music and they play um, uh, danger zone by Kenny Loggins. And that gets you sucked in right away to watch that movie. And then it just takes off from there. I'm glad you mentioned Kenny Loggins and also of course, from that movie, Take My Breath Away. I mean, not only was the movie great, it was one of the first big blockbuster soundtracks. And thereafter, of course, every movie had tried to cram pack as many uh, top 40-ish type songs in it as they get. Yeah, and uh, I've read somewhere that Kenny Loggins was not the first choice of that song. I think it was... uh... If I remember correctly, uh, Brian Adams may have been uh, asked to do it as well as the group Toto, but uh, it's weird how some people may turn it down, didn't want to do it. And then Kenny Loggins, man, he hit that one right out of the park. That is, that was the number one song in 86 that he just absolutely oh, he shattered. Sure did. So uh, when you think about Kenny it, uh, Loggins has had a few good uh, soundtrack items. So he he's really good. I've always liked him. Loggins and Messina, since yep. we're talking the eighties, for those who will remember that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what what what's your take on the movie? You know, with uh, you know, we were talking earlier about it being patriotic and uh when you look back at it now is absolutely um there was one scene I was watching today in uh Maverick. It was uh I think it was towards the end of the movie when they were getting back to the ship and they had one scene where he turned and they just had the right arm with the American flag. It's just those little, little subliminal uh, scenes right there that show uh, the USA, which I thought was really good. But I think at some point that movie should be like on a historical, national historic register for being an all-time great patriotic movie, especially in the 80s when, you again, you had the Soviet Union who were the communists and then the United States, which were the good guys. So there were a lot of movies there that were not were dark, you know, but this one was actually, like you said, an uplifting movie. And it kind of changed, uh, like, the movies towards um, the end of the 80s as well. Yes, definitely. I mean, it was one, uh, Hollywood had taken its turn away from America before that film came out. And, uh, you know, through the 40s, obviously, with the war, 50s and 60s, and even into the early 70s, there was still a a lot of patriotic fare. But with the advent of the 80s, Hollywood went away from that. But Top Gun showed, wow, is there still an audience? As did Top Gun Maverick really, really showed people were desperate for, yes, we love America, and if you don't like it, get the hell out of here. <laughs> kind of <laughs> box well, office money, you know? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's unbelievable. I, from what I remember, that movie, uh, Maverick, was supposed to come out before the, who knew the pandemic was coming, but uh, the sequel was 30, let's see, my math is correct, 1986, 37 years, if my math is correct, the sequel for Top Gun Maverick. So it was... Uh, Definitely, and that really, that second yeah, movie. it took a long time for them to be able to 
work and find the right script. And I really think they nailed it. It's like Beverly Hills Cop. Yep. Uh, if you know things, so I can't say too much. But there is finally, finally supposed to be a fourth Beverly Hills Cop. Speaking of eighties movies, you know. Uh, so it sometimes takes a long time. Like my alt, one of my all-time favorite movies is Stargate. My all-time favorite movie is The Thirteenth Floor. Both of those are from the great director of Centropolis Productions, Roland Emmerich. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people know Toby and uh, his brother. Oh, I can't think of his name, Emmerich. They're not actually related to Roland Emmerich. But Stargate spawned, of course, the Stargate SG-1 series and then two other spinoffs. Emmerich has allowed him to come out with as a trilogy at the theater. Well, MGM has final veto authority, and they've been blocking him for two decades now because I would love to see Stargate rebooted at mm. the theater. But again, it's the what is the right script? Who are the right people? We don't want to ruin what was a super, super colossal, you know, historic film with something mediocre. <laughs> The, the second movie, the second uh, Top Gun movie, I thought they did a really nice job of blending in items, scenes, and parts and uh, memories from the first movie that blended in really nice. Didn't get too cheesy, but it was just at the right time. You could just tell you had the nostalgia from the first movie. And the part, like you had mentioned earlier about uh, Val Kilmer getting in it, that part there when they were both in the office there and uh, he said uh, he wanted to, he texted him, you need to come now. I'm not asking. That was an incredible part between Cruz and Kilmer. That was really like unbelievable. Yes, I, I agree. Very heart wrenching scene. And, you know, a, a, a touch and hint of of the reality we all live in. People get sick. They're going to die. And I mean, you couldn't script that. I mean, that was dictated by real life situation that wasn't acting on Val Kilmer's part well it wasn't it wasn't I, you know what I mean right yeah. I mean he's sick and dying uh, he may have died by now as we speak I, I'm not sure I, I didn't look that up uh, I should have checked that before we aired uh, or started to record today but yeah I mean uh, the way Life imitating art and art imitating life. Those make for really, really good films. So another great part in the movie was the uh, the dynamic between uh, Val Kilmer, Iceman, and also uh, Tom Cruise, Maverick. Their tensions were definitely visible by their body language, by the tension between the two cliques or factions of the uh, Top Gun class or the members. And then as the movie moves on and on, they kind of get closer together because they have to, they have to work together as a team when they have that dogfight at the end of the movie. And uh, Joseph, that was really uh, an unbelievable dogfight scene at the end. But yet, I think that really showed how uh, the characters of both Maverick and Iceman were able to uh, come together and uh, put their differences aside. And the ending scene at the end of the movie when they were uh, 
you could be my wingman and you know where they were going back and forth with the cheering uh people on the ship that was that was awesome yeah i agree and it's part of uh art imitating life and sometimes life imitates art and and goes to show uh the, like you said that competitiveness but yet at the end of the day we're here to get a job done and the team is more important than the individual in that case whereas normally i'm all about individualism over collectivism but in a situation like that uh in order to survive in the trenches in a war situation in the military it is a brotherhood and sisterhood and you have to be there for each other and i love the way it tied together with uh top gun maverick how now they're fast friends because that's again art imitating life because you see that sometimes with couples in real mm -hmm. life right first impressions aren't always necessarily great and people can have a bad day i'm i don't personally know any couples but i know of couples that you know they met each other and they could they you know their body chemistry and their language was just like i can't stand this person but a few years later they're dating a few years later they're married and 50 years later they're still together and yeah you know they're talking about i couldn't stand my spouse when i first met him <laughs> or her you know <laughs> well you know uh the part of the movie there uh, i also think about that part of the movie when um Goose, uh, unfortunately, uh, died in that accident. And you start to see that, I guess, that maybe human side of uh, Iceman when uh, he kind of like held his breath and he took a deep breath and he said, I'm sorry about Goose. I think you, that's the tide where it started to turn a little bit subliminally for me. I thought that was a, uh, a nice part in the movie. But I think <clears throat> when you look back, um, other than Kelly McGillis, I think the part of Maverick and Iceman are two, probably the two main parts because they're the ones that are, a lot of the tension is, he had some tension with Kelly McGillis, but Iceman and, uh, as you said, uh, uh, Maverick, they were able to come back in that second movie, which was extraordinary. Yes, exactly. And, of course, I mean, uh, unfortunately, to some respect, Top Gun and Maverick, as most movies, I hate it. It's it's true with books too. I purposely wrote Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You to not be a formulaic book, but unfortunately most authors adhere to the concept of hey, you know, so and so sells X books because of following the formula. So I, they sell out a little and you know adhere to the formula that you start with this, you've got to have this twist 10% in and by 20% in, you've got to have that and 40% in, such and such kind of sort of needs to happen. It, it's also known as the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the dead cats uh, uh, theorem, uh, like in the Hunger Games, you you oh saving the cat that's what it's called saving the cat formula in hunger games you literally see that with katniss no coincidence name is katniss also 
She literally saves the cat, right, to show her humanity. That's all part of formulaic writing. And unfortunately, I think there are far too many books and movies that way, but it generally works. It's like the repetition of lines, right? A line is said at the beginning and near the end of the movie, some other character turns back that line on the original character. You know, you, you see that all the time. It's part of the formulas. Uh, it's given us some great films. It's given us some stinkers. I just wish there was a little more free will and openness to do things differently than what they do at times. All in all, I thought that was a uh, tremendous movie. We'll move on to another movie. But first of all, when you're thinking about Top Gun and the next movie we're going to talk about, you always see the enemy. They're kind of generic enemies. So like in Top Gun, you had the Soviet Union, which was definitely in that movie, just without the Soviet flags and, and that nature. Surmise that it was the Soviets. So the next movie we're going to talk about is E.T. And this movie just absolutely pulls at the strings when you watch it. it came out 41 years ago in 1982. I remember watching it in the movie theaters uh, up in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. I'll never forget it. This movie really tugs at the heart as well as the storyline. And uh, a lot of great acting in this movie. But this movie definitely was, uh, again, another movie that hit the super stratosphere as far as box office absolutely uh, uh spielberg uh although he later in an anniversary edition cgi'd out some guns trying to get political and kind of cave to uh, an agenda there and has later since said he regrets that he did that because you shouldn't mess with these films. They are a product of their time and they should be left to be the classics they were for the reasons they were. And yeah, the enemy is kind of almost the line. I have seen the enemy and he is me. And it also it is fortuitous that we talk about E.T. today because now we've got congressional hearings going on about ETs, right? <laughs> Talking about extraterrestrial aliens, which I say, I, I've been to Vegas. I've gone out to Area 51. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, got met at the gate, of course, by the infamous uh, white pickups and the guards uh, there. And uh, my tour was a little irked at me because I started walking up the hill waving at the guards <laughs> and they thought I was going to get them all shot. But ET and uh, Top Gun, you have your Maverick uh, character played by Tom Cruise and you have Elliot played by Henry Thomas. And they're like one character and it's the world against that character. Yeah. And uh, at the very end, the, as the movie gets on, he start they start getting allies and people on their side. And then it's 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 a free for all and the movie ends great. But E.T. really looking back at it after all these years, uh, Steven Spielberg movie, um, incredible movie. Henry Ellis played Elliot, Drew Barrymore, Gertie. Uh, Kate Martell played great. He was part of those uh, the, 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 the kids who were riding the bikes. C. Thomas Howell was in the movie as well and uh really an incredible incredible cast of young actors in that movie and then of course the star was uh et but uh 
this movie really, really hit on all age levels. I remember uh, my parents going to see it. I remember adults going to see it. It was really a, another feel-good movie. Starts off kind of uh, dark, but it ends with uh, an incredible ending. Yeah, that's part of that formulaic stuff that you know, really took hold in the 70s and through the 80s. Uh, you see a lot of those, right? It's also the children are really the mature ones the adults are idiots type film <laughs> yeah right him against the world him the kids the <laughs> better you know more moral more loving more caring children and all these idiot adults right and also anti-military to a degree but i don't think spielberg is it's just you know kind of necessary for that film to work the way it does, you know. You know, the movie was really good because uh, Elliot had to convince his friends, his family, that E.T. was not a uh, or evil or anything like that in the movie. And as he started gaining his family's trust and then his friends' trust, then he had backing. And as the movie progresses, you know, with the children versus the U.S. government, and they outwit everybody. And uh, it just shows you that uh, still good movie, but uh, a couple of key parts in that movie, I thought were um, especially the part there where they were riding the bikes and they closed their eyes and then E.T. had them fly over and they're all looking around like that. That's like one of those scenes that's envisioned in my brain. And then the final scene as well, when E.T. finally goes, that's like one of the most incredible endings to any movie you could ever see in my opinion i think it's the way the music score done by john williams and the way they did it and uh when et was going in there the dog started to run up the ramp <laughs> and he backed <laughs> off. i thought that was kind of neat and uh i i really think that uh, great the, the the ending of that movie is just extraordinary yeah, I agree. And you mentioned, uh, again, the uh, one of the formulaic pieces about the kids against the adults that that also brings to mind the Matthew Broderick war games film, right? The, the adults are idiots. They're in charge, but they don't have a clue what they're doing. And the other thing you said about Elliot convincing them that E.T. is not a threat because we have this... Uh, thing like aliens must somehow be a villain mindset right well et or ufos or uaps whatever you wish to call them have been around forever it's not it goes way back before roswell now like world war ii we had the foo fighters uh, and all through the decades since a century potentially millennia of visitations if these beings were a threat to humankind, we'd have known it already. They would have been able to wipe us out already by now, right? It's Neville Chamberlainism. Either the aliens are really stupid, like Neville Chamberlain, and re in thinking, well, maybe we could just appease these stupid beings for a while. You don't let an enemy grow into such a threat that you then can't defeat it. And I, I, I'm sorry if these beings are so darn smart as to be able to come either through interstellar travel 
interdimensional travel, or as I coin it, intertimonal, uh, you know, time travel, like back to the future, right? It, to me, intertimonal makes more sense as a term because it then goes with interstellar and interdimensional. So, but if these beings, whatever they are, if they are there, and there seems to be evidence to suggest uh, that there's something, there's something out there, there's something more than just us. If they're so smart as to be able to create crafts that can interstellar, interdimensional, or intertimonal travel, uh, if they thought we were a threat, they could have very easily wiped us out by now. Yep. Well, you know, looking back at the movie, uh, it was budgeted as ten point five million. I thought it'd been up there in like twenty million. It grossed or the box office for that movie seven hundred ninety-two million dollars. That absolutely nice. shattered, shattered anything previous to that that i mean maybe not star wars i haven't looked at star wars but at, back in 1982 that is uh some serious cash yeah how's that for a return on investment <laughs> i mean you you never know i mean the spec I, right and that goes back to my and uh, uh disdain for all these formula films but they do them because there's a predictability, right? If we spend X, we should at least get that back and then some. And then you never know, like E.T., if it then goes on to stratospheric blockbuster status like it did and like Top Gun did and like Die Hard that we're going to talk about coming up did. Yeah, and you, you know, know, so they like these formulas because then they could say, "Well, I can budget X; it should return at least Y, and sometimes it returns Y exponentially to the tenth power. Sometimes they flop and they lose money, but they're pretty good at what they do. They they know what is going to." do okay what will do well and what indeed might become a blockbuster to be able to afford those higher end budgets up front got it and you know when you uh i think the most important character that uh um elliot had to convince was his brother michael because he was the one that he had to get the buy-in from as far as when et was uh at the house. I think he was the one that definitely you won his brother, Michael, and then uh, you won the friends. And then I think that is really what, you know, again, the, the kids band together, opted out to get ET home, but uh, they have a plan. They just rolled and uh, just did their part riding bikes. And I like that one part in the movie where they were chasing them and they all riding their bikes and they all went in different directions. And, you know, they have crashing and, and swerving <laughs> and going over the cliff. And it was really like, it was really, it was, you know, a feel-good movie. So if you haven't never seen it, you need to watch it. The ending is absolutely spectacular uh, if you watch this movie. So, yeah, you know, if you want to watch E.T., I suggest you also get rent, uh, buy, stream, whatever, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, kind of those two, I think, are great companion movies, a great night of sci-fi watching. And yeah, you you talk about the strategic uh, deployment 
that they engaged in. You know, uh, whether kids that age would actually think of that. Now, maybe kids nowadays, after seeing these movies that employ military level strategy and thinking to demonstrate such and educate uh, younger and younger people on the concepts of chess like moves. Uh, but what, you know, in the 80s, whether kids of that age would think of that, you know, but it makes for a great movie and it, it introduces the wonderful concept of strategic thinking, strategic maneuvers, and the concept of why people should learn chess. <laughs> well, you know that, you know, when you think about now, you know, we now we have all the luxuries of internet, phones, apps, social media. And when you look at the movie, you know, it was just them, no phones. It was uh, pretty much just riding bikes, having a good time. And uh, like you said, it was like a chess match. 